Jack Ludgay Dwyer was a happy, rarely grumpy two-year-old to both of his parents' relief. Leslie had taken the new mother hostage, April's exact words, when she complained to her husband that night, a month or two after April had had her son to tell her about all the experiences raising triplets. The horror stories that Leslie had were enough to scare the ever-loving shit out of the otherwise fearless and deadpan April Ludgate, to the point she almost questioned why she agreed to have kids in the first place. The hundreds of diapers, hours of crying, teething, and all the spit-up, but above everything else, the thing that scared April the most about her son growing up was the dreaded, terrible twos. The foggy, slightly raining Halloween morning, Jack turned two, April half expected the world to shake as whatever demon was going to possess her toddler made its appearance into the new parents' lives. But to both Andy, and especially April, who seemed a lot less tolerant to sudden meltdowns, the terrible twos had never seemed to cross their little Jack. However, instead of temper tantrums about almost anything imaginable, came a new side to Jack that, well, not nearly as detrimental as the terrible twos, seemed to bring a whole new set of challenges. Jack had become strangely and unexplainably needy, especially towards April. At first, Jack started holding on to hugs a little longer. That slowly became wanting to always sit in between his two parents, then making April stay in bed with him until he fell asleep at night, to eventually clinging on to April every chance he could get. The fact that her son seemed to love her so much that he literally wouldn't let go made April feel like all her insecurities about being a bad mom had washed away when she held him in her arms and he clinged back. She also knew how genuinely happy Andy was knowing that she was so content with her life as a mother, but the fact that she was nine months pregnant and constantly having to entertain a two-year-old was straining and so tiring that April thought she might lose her mind. Leslie expedited into City Hall, a stack of folders all with pressing matters pinned under her arms and a million and one thoughts running through her ever-busy mind. If it wasn't for the slightest pull of the tiny hand against the hem of her slacks, followed by the sweet voice that called out, Auntie Leslie! The blonde probably would have never stopped, power walking all the way to Indianapolis in her determination. She exclaimed, honestly surprised to see the toddler at her office. She placed a stack of papers on the nearest desk as she kneeled down, reaching to the young boy's height, her hand going to his shoulder. What are you doing here, buddy? Mommy! He excitedly returned a smile, his tiny fist waving somewhere in the background of all of his two-year-old excitement. Leslie nodded, retreating to her normal height before grabbing Jack's hand and dragging him to the general direction of where he pointed. Hey, Harry. Leslie approached the older man, taking a few steps back once she realized he was pouring coffee. She had been spilled on by the clots way too many times to not be prepared. I was just stopping to get a cup of coffee before I gave a speech. Isn't it just an amazing day? Not a cloud in the sky, and I- Leslie raised her hand, shaking it slightly. Okay, I don't care. Have you seen April? Uh, I think she's in the conference room. Gary smiled down at Jack, waving. But being his mother's son, the small boy retreated behind Leslie, making a face in the mayor's direction. April left this handsome little guy with Donna, but she had to go because of some Twilight reboot. So she thought I'd be fine because there's a few other people here. God, Harry, didn't ask for your whole life story. Leslie shook her head almost disapprovingly as she made her way to find her alleged godson's mother. Oh, sorry. He smiled to himself, turning back to the coffee pot before accidentally spilling the boiling hot coffee all over his crisp white shirt. Leslie pushed the empty and dark conference room door open, almost out of sheer curiosity. She had a copy of April's itinerary, and she knew that she didn't have any appointments for that afternoon. Sure enough, April sat in one of the chairs off to the corner, staring at the wall a few inches from her face. As soon as Jack saw her, he let out a shriek. Molly! Hands grabbed forward with so much strength that he broke free from Leslie's grasp. April swiveled her chair to face the table and the door where Leslie stood, more confused than ever. Hey, sweetheart, she said half-heartedly, in a cold distance, almost not entirely their tone, as she raised the little boy into her lap. April? The blonde called, inching closer. She took a moment to answer, 
looking down to watch as Jack snuggled under her thick cardigan, to the best of visibility with April's pregnancy bump in the way. April supplied her hand on his back. I can't do this, she whispered, mindful the little boy snuggled against her, her tone more like a harsh scream. Do what? Two kids and work 55 hours a week and help with the campaign? I miss those days when I had nothing to do other than troll Justin Bieber online. Her breathing started to get a little heavier, almost to the point of hyperventilation. And being pregnant totally sucks. I mean, the stretch marks and veins and weird cravings are fine, but this kid won't stop kicking me! April places her free hand on her bump, her eyes narrowing. This isn't cute anymore, Demon Spawn! April, calm down. No, I can't calm down. I'm suing God. Satan too. No, he probably has really good lawyers. Leslie looked at the camera, a confused and hopeless gleam in her eyes as she completely stumped on what to do there next. Luckily for her, though, hearing a tiny sniffle from her lap, April looked down, a frown immediately present as she saw little streaks tear down her son's face. She let almost a painful sigh, even though she had described herself as a soulless vampire too many times to count in all of her years. The fact that she had just made her own child cry made her feel terrible. Jack. Her hands went down to reach his little cheeks as she swiftly wiped the tears from his eyes with her thumb. Monsters don't cry. He forced a smile. That's like in the monster rule book. They only get to make snotty children and mean witches cry. But I thought you were a witch, Mama. She playfully rolled her eyes at this, a smile slowly fading onto her lips as she sensed her son's own happiness coming back. Hey, I have a secret. And I know you're the world-famous super spy Jack-Jack, so you won't tell anyone, right? I won't. I won't. He excitedly shouted, his, along with April's, freak out melting away quickly. April leaned forward a little careful of her stomach as she placed a hand on it, feeling the baby already angrily kicking back at her sudden movement. Her eyes widened with the expression that was closest to shock. So you know how mommy says that she's always an evil witch? Well, sometimes I'm a good witch too. But you can't tell anyone, because my good witch powers only work with certain people. Like daddy! Yeah, and Leslie. She looked up, in a way to thank the blonde for trying to help. But most of all, my little monster! She smushed her cheek against his, her hands reaching up to ruffle his little curls. Leslie smiled to herself, her shoulders going back in relief. She knew April would be okay. Donna herself was more than okay. Exceptional, even. Joe was working overtime because he had felt the need to stay after school and help rebuild the cafeteria after the great possum stampede mishap of 2026. God, Donna loved her do-gooder husband. And she had her fair share of do-gooder deeds, like the time she had rebuilt an entire Costa Rican village on a two-week holiday she went on with April, or the time she had gave away enough clothes to supply an entire Middle Eastern country with a new, fashionable wardrobe. But Donna equally loved the bath her maid had drawn for her an hour ago, complete with a bowl full of bath bombs and all the lush products she could carry out of the mall. She lounged on her massive couch, her Gucci robe hugging her as she admired her skin. The window behind her made her glow. It really was the true midday treat-yourself experience. Hey, Olga, can you get me a seltzer water? Gone away from the couch, too invested in the episode of Scandal she was watching to get up. Nothing. A great while passed before Donna sighed, getting up herself as she mumbled. If you can't even get me a water, why do I pay you? Not even two steps into the kitchen, she noticed the shattered glass spread across her marble floors. The broken sky-high window to the left of her was the obvious subject. The hell? She bends down to pick up one of the large shards. When she looked back up, a tall figure loomed over her, making her jump back a few inches out of sheer shock. When the reality around her began to make sense again, she opened her mouth to speak, still shocked. Lavandrius. I'm surprised you even remembered my name. How long has it been since you called your baby brother again? Fifteen years? Donna pursed her lips, her fingers pointing at him angrily. Okay, don't even. You haven't called me either. Well, I'm not the one who ruined the entire family. He shouted, making Donna flinch. Before she could even try to voice her opinion, Vondrius was already speaking again, his head shaking. And to think I was going to be the better person, which I mean, I already am, but still, 
I was this close. He raised his hand, his index finger and thumb pitching together so close there was barely any space between them. To coming and apologizing for what happened with the microwave all those years ago and start over. Suddenly, Bavandria's face was soft as he looked up with Donna with an expression she could only identify as guilt. Because, after all, we are brother and sister. When we work together, it's great. Like the time we won America's Next Top Model. Donna nodded, starting to think of the very select but good memories her and her brother shared. The idea of ending their decade-long feud and calling it a truce became very much so an option to Donna. But in true petty meagle fashion, Lavandrius was yelling again. But then you just had to go behind my back and snatch Annie's house, bitch the hell. He pivots to his side, his eyes full of anger. This house was supposed to go to me. Just like my sense of fashion, my golden girl dolls, and my boyfriends. You just had to take this away from me, too. Okay, don't even. Donna matched his tone, her own anger lighting up from within her. Your boyfriends all left you because, I mean, hell- Oh, have you seen me? Her hands trailed up her shape as she continued. And I didn't steal anything from you. I got the house because Aunt Louise liked me the most. Lavandrius's mouth hung open as he inched closer to her. Donna, Electra, Murray, Meagle. You take that back. No. She challenged, her eyes narrow in pure spite. She told me, on one of the family cruises, we all took without you. Mom said that everyone was just given an intervention to Uncle Carl. Lavandrius turned away, breaking the tension. Mm-hmm. For a whole week. Lavandrius shook his head, his teeth biting down on his lower lip. This is not over, girl. You took something from me, so now I'm going to take something from you. His voice dropped at the end of his sentence. The words spewing from his mouth were almost sinister. Donna looked around her and the pieces clicked in her head faster than a puzzle one of her and Joe's puzzled marathon nights. Her hand reached up to cover her mouth, her eyes widening. You killed Olga? Girl, Lavandrius clicked his tongue. I might be slightly unhinged, but I did not kill your maid. What I meant was I probably swiped one of your purses or something. Donna's hand lowered as she just blinked at the man standing in front of her. Get out of my house. This won't be the last time you'll see me. Be prepared for war, Donna. That, he stepped back, awkwardly moving his body to match the opening he had created at the shattered window. In an attempt to get out of the house, one of his legs was now dangling out into the grass. Can I, I j just use the door? He finally snapped, looking back at Donna as he retreated his leg from the window. Just go. Donna said annoyed as she walked away in another direction. Another unbeknownst visitor made their way to City Hall. Hey! Anne peeked her head into Leslie's office as an attempted greeting. Feeling something graze her back, she frowns her eyebrows. Do you know why April and her kid are flinging pens across the office? April's going a little crazy, just ignore her. I'm always trying. Anne scrunched her eyebrows up together as another pen flew behind her, followed by April yelling, Good job, monster! But aim for the first human-dog hybrid next time. Anyway, am I interrupting something? Anne lifts her head in the direction of Ron, who is pushing the side of a bookshelf. Ron was fixing up a few things, but I can make some tea if you want. Oh, oh, the three of us can have a nice little pillow talk. No need. I don't like small talk, and the tea is for Europeans. I am now leaving. He collected his things, ignoring Leslie's pleading eyes as he walked past Anne. Goodbye, nurse. I'm not a nurse anymore. She called after him. But there was no use as he was already out the door. What are you doing here? I just dropped the kids off at school and I have an hour to kill before Pilates. Leslie's entire face lit up with pure excitement as she looked over at her best friend. Your life is so exciting and fun. Now tell me, 
What's troubling that little perfect mind of yours? Anne moved to sit in the chair directly in front of Leslie's desk as she looked down. She got a strange pang in her chest. Photos upon photos of Ben and Leslie, a few of the triplets, Meghan Markle, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, other women Anne still didn't recognize, and of course, half a dozen of her and Joe Biden. Plus, an odd photo of Joe eating what appeared to be a subway footlong that Anne didn't want to question how Leslie obtained in the first place. Anne shifted uncomfortably in her chair, shaking her head as the overwhelming urge to cry came over her. No, my life isn't exciting. It's sad and repetitive and boring. Anne, you're a timeless and poetic okapi, but I swear, if you ever talk about yourself like that again, I will have who enroll you in intense psychotherapy. Leslie looked off into the distance, cursing under her breath. No, never mind. You're too perfect and amazing to punish. I'm serious. Anne lowered her gaze, her eyes focused on her pretty pink nails as they dropped to her lap. I don't know, Leslie. I just feel like my life is aimless, like I have no direction. What do you mean? You have plenty of things to do. I mean, you seem as busy as me. Yeah, busy doing dumb, pointless things to fill my time. I mean, I am awful at yoga. I still don't know what the hell a child poses. Well, that's just one thing. I mean, your family is beautiful, and you make sure they're taken care of. Anne finally looked out from her lap. Back when I was single, I took the personality of whoever I was dating. Then I was just Leslie Nope's best friend for a while before I got married, had kids, quit my job to take care of my family. I'm not even the nurse anymore. I'm just some sad, bored housewife whose only hobby is selling handmade friendship bracelets on Etsy. I love your friendship bracelets! Leslie lifts her arm slightly so that it's in Anne's view, pulling her navy blazer sleeve down her arm to reveal 19 or 20 of the yarn-woven bracelets, all with individually unique charms dangling from them. Those are meant for two people. Leslie waved her hand in the air to dismiss the thought. Anne, you are not a loser. You're an amazing person, an amazing wife, and the best friend anyone could ever have. That's exactly it, Leslie. I don't want to be anyone's anything anymore. I just want to be Anne Perkins, her own brilliant and heroic starfish, or person. Your metaphor isn't there yet, but we'll get there. Anne herself frowns, the sadness and resentment that had been building up within her for the last several years, now all coming down on her. Yeah. She put on a brave face for Leslie's sake as she was almost more vulnerable to Anne's feelings than Anne herself. Well, Let's just hope you're right. Outside the main pod, right outside Leslie's office, was pretty much empty. Other than April, who sat at a desk that she had claimed as her own, Jack playing with his toys under the desk beneath her. Ron was also in the corner of the room, fixing one of the broken legs on the tables he had spotted and felt obligated to fix before he left. When the door swung open, April immediately stood up, greeting her husband with a kiss. Hey, how was school? She pulled away from his lips. Pretty good. The teacher gave me a gold star. See? He raised the back of his hand to show his wife the metallic star stuck against his hand. They still do that in college? Not usually. He gave her a confident look. Teach said it was only for special students. April shook her head, a tiny laugh following as she saw Jack come running up behind her when he saw his dad. Daddy, 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 mama and I put glue in Harry's milk and, and, and... He continued to ramble, all of his words mixing together to the point that he was no longer coherent, but his excitement prevailed. Sounds like you and mommy had a fun day then, bud. He ruffled Jack's hair slightly, looking up at April with an impressed look. Now we can go home and have more fun, like building stuff with Legos and pretend to be dinosaur fighters. Andy's face lit up like his son only moments earlier. Ooh, then we could have a monster meal. Appropriately named, a monster meal was a combination of all the leftover takeaways the family had accumulated in a week. April had a cooking and Andy had become busy with all of his schoolwork, so there was an excessive delivery takeaway amounted in a lot of extra food. Ugh, I really want to... April frowned slightly, a whine escaping from her lips as she takes Andy's hand in her own and swinging it slightly. Her thumbs graze the edge of the sticker on his hand, but I have a few more lame things to do before I can go home. Aw, well, okay. In that case, I guess I have monster duty. 
he announced, swinging down to grab his son in a single swoop, making the toddler erupt in laughter. Have fun and don't be a hellion. She squished his face with her pointer finger and thumb, making him look like he had fish lips. Or do. Maybe Satan can join you for your play date. That could be fun. My monster. She waved him off with a tiny forehead kiss, and with that, her two boys were gone. Ron from the background approached the brunette once he saw Andy leave. April? Ron nodded his head as a greeting. Ron? She replied just as awkwardly, stretching her body forward to receive a reluctant hug from the older man. Her giant stomach, a well-received buffer between the two. You look very well. He pulled away, his hands going to reach her shoulder, an awkward pat or two before retrieving it back quickly. Thanks, it's all the souls of newborn babies I eat. They're really keeping me young. Yes, well, I have a question. He goes straight into his intent for the conversation in true Ron fashion, not bothering to acknowledge her joke. How do you, um, connect with that small child? You mean Jack, my son? Yes. Um, I don't know. She answers skeptically, knowing that Ron had met Jack many times before. He's just a really awesome kid, I guess. Ron debated to stop talking altogether and just go on his way. After all, that sounded like the better option, but he bit his inner cheek, his eyes looking upward at the girl he had always considered to be like one of his daughters. Well, I recently found it hard to connect with John. April cocked her head slightly. In all the time that she had known Ron, he had only went to her once or twice on serious issues that he had granted important enough to talk about. While I usually appreciate the quietness, I feel like we're growing distant and it's making me feel... His face scrunched up to a grimace, almost gagging to get the emotional words out. Feel like an unfit father. April's face softened. Initially scared that Ron was going to say that he was dying or something, but this almost seemed to be worse. I don't know, maybe try relating to him? Do something together. That's what I do with my son. What does he like to talk about? Ron thought for a moment. Boy likes to talk a lot, and I'm not quite sure what anything he says means. But he's mentioned something called drag? Seeing the pain in his eyes and how genuinely perplexed he seemed, she forced a smile. Try talking to him more, I guess. I mean, what's the worst that can happen? You realize he's part of Zorp and he's trying to kill you? Very well. Ron shook his head, satisfied with her answer as he grabbed the toolbox from the nearby table. Thank you, April. When he got home that night, he would try to talk to his son. What's the worst that could happen? Bring through his head. At the end of a long and very stressful day for all the classically nicknamed by Tom and Donna, campaign gang, Leslie and Ben settled down for the night. The kids are all asleep. Leslie clapped her hands triumphantly as she made her way to join her husband, sat on the couch in the opposite direction of her. The kids are all asleep. I almost had the claw, the game controller, out of Wesley's grip, and I'm pretty sure that there is a kid-shaped hole in the wall between Sonya and Steven's room. But the kids are asleep. The blonde walked to the kitchen counter, placing the aforementioned controller down next to a stack of budget spreadsheets, making her way over to the couch, but Ben still hadn't responded. Oh, and don't forget, Sonya has ice skating and debate tomorrow. Wesley has a chess match, and Steven has football. She counted the things off of each of her fingers. When she looked up, she saw Ben wagging his own finger at her as he was on the phone. A moment or two passed before he hung up, sending the phone on the couch beside him with a worried expression as his fingers fumbled around him until he grasped the remote. That was Jen. She called and said to turn on the TV immediately. With that, the TV turned on, and sure enough, the Jones show played. The hostess was joined by Marsha Lang, Pert Hapley, the douche, Greg Bakaitis, and up-and-coming Pawnee politician, as they sat in a semicircle discussing the most recent of politics. You know, I've never liked Leslie Nope. Joan shook her head at all the other guests. She's never been the strongest candidate, and that shows. Marsha Lang nodded her head in agreement. If you ask me, Leslie Nope is incredibly profane and dirty, and honestly, the other candidates' beliefs reflect Pawnee better. I am purred happily, and what I am saying is that I agree. The news anchor looked into the camera. When I was a kid, she teepied my house and then framed me. 
Greg added, which stirred up an entirely new conversation led by Marsha and her beliefs on how toilet paper had become too liberal. Leslie chose to ignore that as the reality of her world closed in on her. A month or two ago, all the candidates for the next Indiana governor were announced. One of them, an accomplished professor from Bloomington. Another, a former wolf of Wall Street. They were the only real threats. The others, a pair of ex-Siamese twins who ran together, a former co-star of Brandy Max turned nun, and a man who ran an edible soap business from his truck. The fact that a new person was running, from the same town as her, that she had the possibility of knowing, shook Leslie down to her very core. Someone else from Pawnee is running against me? How was that possible? I thought it was too late to get on the ballot. Ben smacked his lips together, feeling as Leslie sat down next to him. No, not necessarily. They can still be written in. Who in Pawnee could possibly want to be governor? 